Hello, Redeem Church, family and friends. What a blessing it is to be able to meet together today. We're going through a book called Rooted as a Church, and it's really an exciting opportunity because what we're doing is we're learning what it really means to be a Christian, how to go deep in that life. And each chapter is a lesson plan of how it is that we can not only draw nearer to the Lord, but become stronger in our walk with God. So it's been great. And I just want to give you a little warning that today's subject is on the enemy and how to overcome evil. Now, look, I need to make sure that we understand that if we only went through a portion of the book, we're really not going to be able to walk that victorious life that we want. You can't become a disciple by going halfway. You've got to go all the way. And in today's message, it's going to be a little weird. It's about enemy, the evil, the reality of that. And if you don't stay with this message all the way to the end, you're not going to get to that substance that helps us to know how to overcome. And so it may be a little bit weird in places, but you know, I just want to acknowledge that it can be. And I'm asking you to stay with me all the way to the end. So here's, here's what's really weird. Let's say you're sitting down and you're having uh, a dinner. And then somebody comes and knocks on your door and they say, oh, I was just driving by and I noticed your roof was on fire. Now, what would be weird is if you went back in and sat down and finished your meal. It, it would be right to go out and find out if your house is on fire and what you need to do. So, friends, there's a lot in the world right now that is upside down, that is on fire. And we need to learn how to face it and what our part is to be able to make it a, a better place. So. Our job as a Christian is to be able to make a difference in life, not just, you know, bumble through it. So I'm thankful of this chapter. I'm thankful of the book Rooted. I think I'm thankful of how well they're going to describe things that are mission critical for us to actually be overcomers as Christians. So when we think about the fact that there's an enemy, I don't want us to frame it this way, you know, because I've heard things like good is the enemy at best. Friends, it's not that kind of enemy. I mean, Imagine what kind of a person would actually villainize a whole group of people. Maybe even just based on their bloodline, their heritage, the color of their skin, their hair or their eyes, and then put them in concentration camps, starve them, torture them, do experiments on them, and then exterminate over six million of them. It's that kind of evil that I'm talking about today. And I want you to know that I mean, yes, I'm making a reference to Hitler, but Hitler was no more than a pawn on the chessboard of Satan's evil plans against the children of God. There, there is an enemy. He's real. He is awful. And what his goal is, is to destroy our lives. And the beauty of it is that Christ has gone before us to take his power away to do that and to literally give us the power to overcome and to make a difference that lesson that we're going to see today is the way that we do that is by overcoming evil with good. We're not to run from it. We're not to hide from it. We're not to isolate ourselves. We're not to uh, pretend that it's not as bad as it really is. We're actually supposed to be able to take the power of God, which is good, and use it to overcome evil. I want to uh, give you a verse just to put things in the right frame today. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 20, verse 21. And it's, a, it's in a command form, and it says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's God's plan right there in a nutshell. There is evil. There's a way to overcome, and it's going to be by doing good. And the good here is actually the Greek version of the Latin, I mean, of the uh, Hebrew word, kehesed. 
And so kehesed is this very powerful word used in the Old Testament, one of the most famous places in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. You know where it says God's mercies are new every morning, so are his loving kindnesses, his acts of loving kindness. That's the kehesed. And that same concept is right here. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with the power of the loving kindnesses of God. And I love the fact that God makes them available every morning in, in just the right time and right the season. So I want you to know that we are in the right place, the right time, and the right season to overcome. He's giving us the kehesed that we need. He's giving us the goodness, the generosity, the kindness that's going to be able to shut evil down. That's the goal. And so the question might be, well, how do we do it? And that's what we're going to be getting at today. And so I'm going to look at uh, certain areas that help us to overcome evil in our lives personally and then be able to move towards corporately making a difference in the communities that we live. And, and this is so significant. So Redeem, we, we know we've got to listen to this message because we live in the least church state in the United States. Oh, by the way, we live in the least most church county in that state. And so I don't know where you are or where you're listening from today, but it's not easy to stand up against the things that work against God. And that's what we're going to be called to do. And not only to stand up, but to bring good in the middle of it, bring that kehesed. So I want to read uh, a challenge to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord in Revelation chapter 3, uh, or 2 and 3, he's talking to the churches, the seven churches. And he says to, to each and every one of them that I have a mission for you. I have a job description of what it means to be the church. And to each one of them, he says, you need to overcome. Overcoming is what you need to do. And Revelation 3, 21, 22 says this. And I want you to read it with me. It says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is such a fascinating, important passage. Jesus is saying, this is not an option. This isn't a suggestion. This is you need to overcome. And when the overcome happens, he's saying, that is when I'm going to grant you to sit down with me on my Father's throne, on the very throne of God. I believe that when we overcome, that is when the uh, engagement takes place in the heavenlies, that that goodness from Christ starts penetrating planet crazy. That's how it happens. And this overcomes, is, he doesn't say, if you have overcome, I'll let you sit on my throne. That's the way most of us frame it. Like maybe I can be really good and untainted by planet world and all the ugly, and then one day I'll get to sit with Jesus on his throne and he'll take notice of me. Can I tell you, that's not what's being said in this passage. He who overcomes, and by the way, he tells every church, you must overcome. So he who overcomes, that's when you're engaging Jesus Christ on his throne and the power of God from the heavenlies comes to planet earth that is parched and needs it so much. That's what we're looking at here today. So how do we do it? Well, first of all, I want you to know that you have to understand that uh, we are called to overcome. I have a, a feeling that most of us, when it comes to addressing evil, are kind of like, um, unintentional. You know, we do the best we can with one when it arises. And friends, I'm suggesting that it's time to be 
intentional. I mean, we need to be intentional about the way that we are going to overcome. And God has told us to be the overcomers. And I want you to know, he has actually given us the tools if we will use them so that we can. So that's part of the intentionality. Today, we're going to be learning about the things that, it, that God has made available for us to actually be able to overcome. So first of all, let's get intentional and recognize that overcomers in scripture are actually called to be prepared, to be alert, to be ready, uh, just to be able to know that you're in the game. And so that's lesson number one. I love this passage. It's one that we've all heard of before. It's 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist them firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This is such an uh, interesting passage because it's saying you need to be a sober spirit. It's not like just be sober. Spirits, you need your spiritual lens on. The implications aren't just for the nasty here and now. They're forever. And what the enemy's doing, he's, he's not just trying to mess up your day. He's trying to steal your very soul and distort your existences and, your, and the purpose God has for our lives. That's what's at stake. So we need to be able to see life through the spiritual lens, not just through the human. I also appreciate the fact that he says that the enemy is like a roaring lion. This, this is not a acute, flirtatious enemy. This is an enemy whose sole purpose is to destroy, kill, and shred. I mean, that's what it does. You know, it's interesting to me because I've never liked circuses. I, do, I don't like to go places and pay money to see people risk their lives. For some reason, that just doesn't work for me. It's, you know, life is hard enough without people having to be that desperate in my mind. But anyway, I'm sure that it's an opportunity for them to you know, display some of their amazing skills. So I, I'll reframe it that way, but I've never liked it. And the thing that I like least about the circuses is when they do the lion and tiger stuff. Do you know that in the last 20 years alone, there's been, been about just about one mauling and death from a tiger lion, you know, circus event every year. So 15 people have been killed in the last 20. Um, Lions, you know what lions do? They're not made to be in cages to be played with. Lions, lion. Tigers, tiger. They destroy, they kill. That's what they do. And we need to see the enemy as that. It is, you know, time to be sober. Be aware. This isn't play. This isn't circus life. This is eternity. And we're learning how to walk through it and make a difference with our lives. And so I just want us to make sure that we understand it. And then the other thing in this one passage is, that I think is kind of interesting to acknowledge is it says, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren. I never took the word suffering and accomplishment and put those together. Have you? Hey, I've suffered today. I've really accomplished something great. But that's what Peter's telling us. When we fight back with what the enemy throws at us, when we don't give up or give in, when we stand our ground, we're actually accomplishing something in that suffering, in the hardness of that moment. And he says, and be encouraged by that. Keep at it. Get in. Be engaged. And so it's kind of funny because some of us, especially in America, we've bought into this American dream concept that says, you know, you're supposed to work and then, uh, you know, buy stuff, 
have a comfortable life and live happily ever after. And, and, and I really appreciated Kurt's message last week on the, the difference between comfort and suffering and, and surrendering for God's kingdom. And really, we're not called into a life of comfort. We're called into a life of overcoming. And that's really where the excitement begins. And that's where the real accomplishment is. I'm not going to be accomplished because I retire and I have money. I'm going to be accomplished if my life mattered for eternal purposes, right? Because all this stuff, it's going to be gone and life goes really fast. So I appreciate that. So we've got to be aware if we're going to be overcomers. Number two, we also have to be alert. And we need to know that it's time to literally uh, not only encounter evil and be aware of it, but to engage it and engage it with good. So I want to give you a hint here. If you want to engage evil, the only way to overcome it, the way that God set it up, is with good. Isn't that interesting? You can't overcome evil with evil. You know why? Because evil plays by a different standard. And so we're not willing to be as ugly as the ugly that we fight. And so Jesus says, don't even go down that track. You've got to actually overcome it with good, kahesed, with the ability to bring a generous a loving kindness into that situation. And oh, by the way, uh, he will bring it for us when we don't have it. Look at Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 20. So we'd read 21 before where he said, you need to overcome. I want to read the uh, verse right before that. Revelation 3, 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. If you don't have the goodness, you know what you do? As you turn to the Lord, and because he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he's wanting to come in and bring it for you. That's what we take to the battle. And I'm just so glad that, I, number one, I'm not in the battle alone, and number two, I have something real that can prevail. It's called goodness of God. So that's, this thing, that's what we need to be aware of if we're going to overcome. We're in the battle. We're going to encounter it. Now we engage it with good. Now he's going to go on, and he's also going to tell us that we're going to need to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. I think it's uh, really significant if we would just stop for a moment and recognize that on our best day, our best flesh, our best human intelligence is of no uh, you know, competition with demonic spiritual things. We are tethered to this world. They're free from it. They can bring stuff that we can't even see. And so for us to think that we're going to be able to... Uh, fight this battle on our own, it's really foolish. The way that we fight the battle is through the strength uh, that He gives us and through His might. So He's giving us weapons, and we're going to see what those weapons are in a moment. But I just want to remind us that He is going to be able to fight through us in our innermost being with the depth of the life of Christ. That's how it works. So if you don't know Christ and you're trying to take on evil, uh, it's not going to work. You've got to literally, in your innermost being, know the life and the love and the power of Christ. And that's where our resource is to be able to overcome and to be strong, to be strong in His might, in His ways. He is the one who is spiritual. And oh, by the way, He also became human, incarnate flesh. And oh, by the way, they killed Him. And oh, by the way, He raised Himself from the dead. That's the might that we're accessing here. Oh, one more thing he tells us right here. And if we too will allow him to work through our lives as he knocks on the door of our heart and our innermost being, that he will give us access to the very throne of God to release the things from heaven that are required to have victory on earth today. That's how we move Pierce County into a place that's going to know the life and the love of God. That's how we change America. That's how we flip the American dream that ends up in nothing. 
Amen. I mean, I'm just getting fired up talking about it. So he's going to go on. He's going to say, now, if you really want to engage, here's what you got to do. And here's the meat of the message today. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 8 through 18, or 10 through 18. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and, per and petition for all the saints. We're going to break that down for a moment, but what I can tell you right now is he's going to say you've got to be aware, you've got to be alert, you've got to be strong, and now you've got to put on. What are you going to put on? You're going to put on the full armor of God, and oh, by the way, I'm going to tell you how to do that twice. That's what's happening in this passage. I don't know about you, but... Um, I've been, it's been a little disappointing for me in terms of the Seahawks this season. Uh, and it's, it's not a fault thing. We're probably doing the best we can with the players that we have on the field. But the level of excitement and, you know, our winning those close games in the end it hasn't happened yet. We're kind of losing those close games in the end right now. And I'm wondering if it's an energy thing or, or whatever, but I don't need to be a, a football analytic to know this, that it takes a high level of engagement, of energy, of momentum from beginning to end to win. That's what I do know. And it's interesting because at the beginning of Seahawks games, it's really exciting. They have this thing called the 12th man and they allow one of the fans to come and raise the flag. And it's the high level of excitement to create the momentum to go out there and win the game. Well, they actually took that tradition from Texas A&M. And I checked with my friend, Ken Roberts, who I hate to admit it, is a graduate of Nagy. And I asked him, do they still do the 12th man with allowing a fan to run on the field? And he said he was going to check into it, but he thinks they will because they've done it for over 100 years. Let me tell you the difference between Texas A&M 12th man and Seahawks 12th man. Seahawks 12th man, we raise a flag before the game. Yay, yay, yay. Get all the excitement rolling. Texas A&M, they pick a fan who they believe is loyal and excited about their team. They dress them up, suit them up, and on game day, they let them run out on the first play of the field. So on the kickoffs, they're running down the field. They're doing, I mean, they're in that game as opposed to on the sidelines trying to cheer people on. I want you to know that there's something wonderful about Texas stuff. Now, I wouldn't do that. It's probably uh, going to get sued. There's probably a class action class already being filed right now for every person that's had some kind of trauma from being on that field. But the reality of it, can you see the difference between raising a flag and getting on the field? It's, the difference is huge. And so what 
is going to be spoken of this day in this passage is, yeah, there is an enemy. There is, there is a battle going on. And I'm not asking you to be on the side, on the sideline doing some hoopla. I'm asking you to suit up and get in the game. It's pretty amazing. So here's how we're going to suit up. According to God's word, he's going to say, if you will put these things on, it'll enable you to do two things. One, stand firm and two, actually resist and be able to have the right things imparted in the middle of it. On the uh, putting on, I just want you to know that if you would rather be in the game than on the sideline, and I hope you would, I hope you understand that this is the day to get in the game. I hope you understand just like David when he came to check on his brothers, that he wasn't happy to be on the sideline listening to the disparaging remarks by Goliath. Instead, he went in and he got in. And remember, even then, they said, okay, if you're going to go in, then we want you to suit up. And they gave him Saul's armor. And he said, no, this isn't the armor for me. I'm putting on my own armor. What I know works for me. And I'm getting in that game and I'm stopping this nonsense now. That's what he did. He suited up in his own way with what God had equipped him, and he got in the game. I'm asking all of us today, I mean, are, is anybody tired of the craziness and the ugly and the evil that's going on in our world? Is anyone tired of the breakdown of community, of family, of people, of suicide? Do I have to go on? We are living in a time where it's really messed up, and we need to stand our ground, get in the game, and do something about it. So, so suit up. And so the suit up isn't going, to, isn't going to be you have to do all these little things and behaviors. It's going to be interesting when we look at what it means to suit up. Here they are. Number one, it's going to say, and again, this isn't the passage that we just read, but you're going to have to be willing to walk in truth, to put on truth. The enemy we know operates in deception and lies. That's how he works. We're actually called to do the opposite. We're called to walk in truth in love, in love, in truth. Those words are often uh, at the hallmark of what it means to be a believer. So we don't have to hide from the truth and we don't have to sit there and be religious about the truth. What we actually get to do is model the truth in love. Number two, he's going to tell us that we're going to have to walk in a righteousness. This idea, the breastplate of righteousness. It's a righteousness that literally makes us whole. And it's something that we seek and we've learned and we've done a great job as a church of explaining the difference about uh, trying to create our own righteousness, self-righteousness, and walking in the righteousness that comes from God. And so when God makes us free, we're free indeed. When he makes us clean, we're completely clean. So he's saying, walk in my righteousness, walk in my ways. And that's again why he's knocking at the door of our heart, not the door of our behavior. So we just got to open our heart to the Lord and say, we want to walk in your spirit and in your ways. Number three is that we need to be able to uh, experience peace. And this piece is what we shot our feet with. And it's interesting to me is that we don't sit there and say, okay, game on, we want to go on and hit somebody. In a sense, what we're really doing is we're putting peace as the course of our pathway. We're going to approach the crazy from a vantage point of stability and strength and peace. We're bringing peace, good news. We're not inflaming the situation. In fact, what's amazing to me is right in the middle of just all the mess, what we're actually offering is love, acceptance, we're offering redemption. What a beautiful thing to bring to the uh, situation that we're facing. And if we can bring rede redemption, I just have a, a sense that people are willing to listen for that. In the middle of all the stuff that we're going through, it's a beautiful thing when we hear redemption. And I want to encourage you, go back 
and read of the uh, promised Messiah from Isaiah chapter 53, specifically 4 through 6, where God's promising to the Jews at the time that's probably worse in their history. And he says to them, don't worry, I am sending you a Savior, a Messiah, and he will bear your burdens. He will bear your griefs. He will bear your sorrows, and he will even bear your sins and your your iniquities. It wasn't just about, oh, I'm going to help you because you've done something wrong. I'm going to help you because you need it. You've been hurt. You've had things that have been very difficult. You've been caught up in the fray, and I want to bring peace to that situation. And whether or not you're experiencing the peace you want right now in your life, this is what I know, that when God's involved, He's coming at it from a vantage point of peace, of health, of healing. That's the good news. And then a faith. We're talking about a shield of faith. And, you know, if it, it's almost like this. If the first th three things, you know, truth and righteousness and peace don't seem to be working, just hang in there. Uh, stay in your faith. Keep believing anyway. It's, it's going to be very likely that when we get in that game, it's going to be more fierce than we thought. I can remember going to University of Washington football game a few years ago, and I was given a pass to go down on the field. I had no idea. When you stand at the sidelines, how fast those guys run, how hard they hit, it is fierce. And so there may be a sense when we go, oh my goodness, we're really closer than we thought. That's when faith comes in. Faith means, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to run away. But for me, uh, in those situations where it's harder than I anticipated, I need to be able to, once again, draw on something that's more fierce than the situation I am. That's more forever. So that's why I'm suggesting to you that you make sure that you're associated with a body of believers that have fire in their hearts and in their bellies to be able to call you into that game and to be able to stay on your ground and by faith, watch God do what only He can do. So it is a thing where we really genuinely need each other. And then salvation. I love this helmet of salvation. And salvation, it's interesting to me in the fact that salvation is a free gift from God. It's something that we can't fabricate. It's something that we can't conjure up on our own. He's saying, you, when you walk into that battle, you need to know what's at stake here. It's not your salvation. Our salvation is secure. As a believer, we're told that our salvation is protected by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So once we become in that right relationship with God, our salvation isn't what's at stake. It's salvation here is what we're carrying is an opportunity for others to come and know the Lord and to be able to be set free from the mess of planet Earth to be able to be right with God and to live above it. That's a powerful weapon that we get to bring. And then he says, number six, is that we need to pick up the sword and the spirit, which is actually the word of the Lord. And so this word here, I want you to be aware, when we talk about the word of God, there's usually two Greek words used. One is rhema and the other is logos. Logos it has to do with the written word or the, the things that we normally think of, the commandments, the things that were explained and taught by Jesus. The rhema is a current word, a relevant word. It's an utterance. It's an idea that the Lord is giving to you and I in our attempt to be guided by Him. So it's a fresh word. It's a sense that the Lord Himself is speaking to us. And it can often be through His words. So he might bring up a passage or a reminder, or He might bring a person that shares something. Or in your innermost being, you may just sense something that's of Him. That's His Spirit, Rhema, speaking to us to give us discernment in the middle of that situation. And friends, that's what you need in the middle of the battle. And so He says He's going to give that to us. And I just want to encourage you as I'm getting ready to close in a very powerful message. Uh, 
it's a promise that comes from the Lord, and it's in eight, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. And this is what it says. It says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints, which is who we are, according to the will of God, Romans 8, 26-27. What a powerful truth of what the Spirit is willing to do. So when we're in the middle and it doesn't seem like things are working right, in your spirit, would you just be calm and allow Him to speak to you right there? And he, he is interceding. He is at work when we seek Him in that way. But remember, if we're retaliating in the flesh, if we're trying to overcome through our human intelligence, or if we're disengaging from the battle, then we're missing the intercession and the victory of overcoming that He's releasing for us in that moment. And here's my favorite. And a lot of times when they talk about the uh, weapons of the Spirit that are given in the full armor of God, they only do six. But if you understand prepositions, the word with in this, you're going to see that there is a seventh. Because it says in this passage, it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The with here is a conjunction that says, yeah, part of your alertness, part of this battle needs to be not only that you're listening to the the Spirit, but that you're also praying, and that the Spirit will show us how to pray it. And so pray in the Spirit, pray by the Spirit. The Spirit is willing to be able to help you to be able to speak life into the middle of a dead situation, or to speak peace into the middle of calamity. We need to learn how to pray in the Spirit and connect that to uh, engaging the Lord God to be able to win our battles. The greatest Overcomers are going to be those who really have a life devoted to prayer. That's the, that is the practice field of really being able to overcome. So let me just conclude with this. Overcomers are going to be really good at three things. And, and when you put on these uh, amazing weapons that God has given us and the armor to be able to enter into the battle, to be able to take places where there's an enemy and evil, and to be able to bring life and light cohesed to those situations, there's three things that we're going to do very well. The first is that we're going to be able to understand confession. Confession is this power of agreeing with God that we need Him. We need Him for salvation. We need Him for forgiveness. We need Him for help. We just need Him every minute, every moment. The more we confess, really in reality, is the more that we're showing that we're loyal to freedom because we're not ashamed of it. And then secondly, we're going to know really as we're walking in this uh, armor of God and the freedom that comes with that, we're going to understand the practice of repentance. Repentance is something where we just, we're able to change quickly and move in new directions. And so it's so right to repent uh, and there should be a freedom of repenting. We should feel great about growing and, and getting up. And maybe that battle that we engaged, we didn't do so well. well. We're going to get up and we're going to fight again because we repent. We learn how to do it better next time. And the most uh, significant part of all this, remember we use the word kehesed. We use this word of, of the goodness of God. You overcome evil with his goodness. In Greek, it's agathos. But it's this idea of a generous kindness. And friends, 
the true power of somebody who is suited in the full armor of God, walking and being led by God into battles, is empathy. It's a love for other people. It's not trying to take the enemy out. It's about trying to build the enemy up. So once again, can we just look at the difference between Satan and Jesus for a moment? I know we shouldn't have to do this, but what did Satan do? Satan is trying to destroy innocent children of God and take them out and literally deceive them in a place of eternal damnation where they'll be in separation from God and tortured for the rest of their life. You get it? I mean, it's, that's how ugly it is. Jesus is doing just the opposite. Instead of trying to take others out, he gave his life to bring others into his kingdom. He, he's bringing his very best to help those in the greatest need. And so, to me, it's so clear that we've got to be able to have that heart. That's empathy. Jesus cares about us. So again, I don't know where you're at right now, the battles that you're facing, but I'm telling you with all my heart, He cares. I know for some of us, we literally are doing our best to overcome. Some of us are trying to overcome addictions and difficulties. Some of us are just trying to overcome not crying all the time because we're hurting so bad. Some of us are trying to overcome hating people. Some of us are trying to overcome hating ourselves. And, and none of it happens in terms of being able to see the other, other side till you first look into the eyes of Christ. Can you see him for who he really is? A God who came, a God who loved, a God who laid his life down. Do you know that he cares, that that empathy is for you, it's for me, it's for all of us, and that it literally, it, it transforms us. And when it transforms us, it causes us to also want to walk in the same. So I hope you see the difference uh, and the battle that we're in and the victory that's ours. I hope that you see yourself as an overcomer. Uh, you truly are the one that the Lord has called into this season, into this time. So friends, um, as we overcome, let, let's make sure that we understand the significance of armoring up. Put on these things each day. Be around the right people. And all you have to do at that point is not give up and not give in. Stand your ground and let's give God a chance to truly make a difference in our world by making a difference in our own lives. The Lord bless you on your quest. In Jesus' name, amen.